You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. We have been in a study of Proverbs, which we have called the user's guide to the good life. Now, I have to be honest with you, when we were preparing this series and talking about what we were going to call it and what it was going to look like, uh, when this idea came up, I thought, that sounds very prosperity gospel, kind of God wants us to be millionaires and drive Ferraris and live on the big house on the hill. But actually, Proverbs uh, begins by deconstructing what the good life actually is. Proverbs begins to reorient our understanding of a good life as one lived on a path of wisdom. We pursue wisdom, we acquire wisdom, we apply wisdom throughout our life and we begin to experience the good that God intended for us in the first place. What this means, of course, is that wisdom is different than knowledge, Right? We, we talked about the difference between being brilliant and being wise, that those are very different things. Um, this was a quote from a couple weeks ago. Pastor Dave shared it from Professor Barry Schwartz, who was teaching at a TED Talk. And this is what he said about the difference between brilliance and wisdom. Uh, he said, at TED, brilliance is rampant. The good news is that you don't need to be brilliant to be wise. The bad news is that without wisdom, Brilliance isn't enough. Brilliance is likely to get you and other people into as much trouble as anything else. And we can attest to this, right? We live here in San Francisco where there is just a tremendous number of brilliant people, but maybe not as many wise people, right? The most right and virtuous deeds done at the wrong time and in the wrong way can cause tremendous harm. So we define wisdom not as what you know, but rather wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. It's knowing how, why, and when. We need more brilliant, uh, we need more than brilliance. We need character of the mind and heart. So how do we get character? I'm glad you asked. Open to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 27, and this is what it says. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. 
Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. That's God's word. Let's pray together. God, I believe that you have a specific purpose today. In this passage, Lord God, um, that you want to reveal to us about us and about you. God, our heart can be very mixed up. And we can get pulled in many directions, Father. Today, I pray that everything else would be silent. And your voice would be clear. And our ears and our heart would be open. That we might receive from you today, God, the words of our Father straight to our heart that wisdom might be planted deep in our hearts today. God, I'm incapable of that. And so I ask by your Holy Spirit, Father, you would minister to us together. In Jesus' name, amen. In this chapter, uh, the author speaks to us uh, as a father, imploring his beloved son to live in the ways of wisdom. Three main thoughts arise out of the father's words to his son. First, it's that wisdom starts with a decision. Wisdom begins with a decision. Next, wisdom leads to a path. It takes us somewhere. And finally, wisdom flows from the heart. Wisdom starts with a decision. It leads to a path, and it flows from the heart. Remember um, that we said these wisdom scriptures, right, um, that they were first handed down from a father to a son, just like we read, that a father would uh, pick his son up, set him on his lap, and begin to just speak these words of wisdom that have been passed down. Um, they were later used in schools of thought to teach young men to be wise, to use wisdom in everyday life. And now these wisdom teachings have been passed down to us. One of the things... We notice as we read these first nine verses, that introduction portion of chapter four, is that it's different than the other three chapters. 
its emphasis on uh, wisdom is that it's being passed down from generation to generation. Now stop, uh, we have a problem just even thinking about that. This is not the way we live. Most of us uh, feel like we've already got it figured out in a lot of ways. I don't need to be sat on some creepy old man's lap. I know the direction I'm going. I have a pretty good idea of what I need to do, right? I don't know if kids were the same back in Solomon's day as they are now, but this task of passing down wisdom is really hard. Uh, Noelle and I, my wife, um, we try to do this from time to time, pass down wisdom to our three girls. And uh, sometimes it's really heavy stuff. We're talking about the Lord and scripture and things. Sometimes it's not. So um, a few days ago or recently, we decided, I think the girls are old enough to learn to play tennis. Noel and I love to play tennis. We've played ever since we were in college, uh, you know, together growing up. And uh, so, you know, our girls, our youngest now is five. We'll teach them to play tennis. So pack everybody up. We go down to the tennis courts. And we're like, girls, we're going to learn to play tennis today. Now, Grace, my oldest, uh, she runs over to the court opposite of me, and she says, Dad, hurry up and show me how to serve. I want to get busy kicking your butt. (laughs) She gets that from her mom. (laughs) Our second daughter, Reagan, she walks up to me real close. She's got, you know, her big puppy dog eyes, and she looks at me, oh, Daddy, I don't don't like this idea. Um... Because, see, if Grace and I are on the same team, we might lose, and I'll be sad, and then Grace will be sad. But um, if I'm on your team or on mom's team, then, then maybe you would lose, and that would make me really, really sad. So what if we just switch every time someone hits a ball, we just switch the court, and we can all win? And can I have a hug before we start? And so I'm, you know, hugging Reagan and consoling her already, you know, and... Um, and while I'm doing that, I hear Maggie, our youngest, over on the side, on the bench where all the stuff is. She's like, hey, guys, look, I can shove all the rackets into my pants. I don't make this stuff up. Seriously. This actually happens in my life. Truth. Okay, so I'm not going to say that Noel and I had this big wisdom strategy, all right, uh, in this moment, but I, want you, I do want you to notice something, um, that in each in their own way, our girls clearly communicated that they had a different idea of how spending time learning to play tennis as a family should go. They had a different idea of how this should go, how this should work. They were not exactly sponges of, you know, tennis wisdom, right? And we're not so different from this. I think um, that is why the language of Proverbs is is imploring, it's almost begging for us to listen, for us to hold on to these words, for us to keep them close to our heart. God knows our inclination is to go our own way, to resist instruction, and sometimes even to reject it outright. So how does the father appeal to the son? The same way that God appeals to us, first in love. He reminds the son who he is. And God reminds us who we are. We are beloved sons and daughters. We are beloved of the father. He delights in us. 
and so desperately wants us to seek wisdom. That is his heart for us. But secondly, if he appeals to us through tradition, let's talk about tradition for a moment because that can be a messy word. In each of the first three chapters of Proverbs that we've already studied, the author encourages the young man, right, the subject of his words, to follow wisdom because it has benefits. There are good things that happen when you follow wisdom. And there are pitfalls when you reject wisdom. But here it's different in chapter 4. Here wisdom is a gift that's passed down from generation to generation. The boy's grandfather taught the same lessons to his father and now the father to the son. The son is invited into something much bigger than himself. And we are invited into something much bigger than us to live in a legacy of wisdom. Now, how is this legacy passed to us? Um, this is much different than the world we live in. The vast majority of us did not grow up in a home, if, if, if statistics are even close to true and correct, we did not grow up in a home with a father figure. And, and if there was a father figure, the role of fathering and a father training his children is vastly different. It's less and less prominent. Just watch Modern Family. Okay, it's a different world we live in. Now, most of us didn't have a father pursuing us, right, to prepare us for the traps and the snares on the road ahead, to handle the sharp turns of life, to point us in the direction of wisdom. Most of us didn't have this. And during our teenage years, that's probably okay because our hormones have us convinced that we're uh, invincible. We are such punks when we're teenagers. We feel like we have it all figured out. Pray for me. I have three of those on the way. But something shifts from what, what I've experienced in spending time with a lot of you. Something shifts in our early adult years as we are beginning to build our own life we realize more and more how unprepared we are. How unprepared we are for life, for work, for deep friendship, for relationships, for dating, for love, for family. We get to this point, we say, how did I miss all of this? I should be more prepared than this. But we're not. So we begin to pursue a way of piecing this together. And here's what I've noticed, that many, many of us are waiting for Mr. Miyagi. We are waiting for that wise, wise man who will see us from a distance and recognize our potential and then throw himself into Training us, not just for karate, but for love and, and for conflict and for uh, resolution. All these things. We're just waiting for someone to show up and show us how to do this. Someone that's going to dedicate themselves to us, to shaping us, giving us that self-sacrificing parental love and care. I've got bad news. And I've got good news. Mr. Miyagi is not going to show up. There is no Mr. Miyagi. There is no super dad. There is no wise sage at the top of the mountain. 
They don't exist. But there is one greater than Mr. Miyagi. Is Jesus. Jesus is patient and he is kind. And he goes beyond self-sacrificing to a sacrifice we can't even comprehend. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has seen you in the best and the very, very worst of your life. He knows just what you need for today to live in wisdom. And wants nothing more than to take you by the hand and walk with you on this journey. That's why he came. Great. So let's get started. Easy, right? The beginning of wisdom, get wisdom. Let's pray. No, wait. This doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> the beginning is get it? That doesn't make sense. Uh, what, what is this saying? Proverbs is telling us make a decision. Make a decision already. Wisdom requires a decision. It says, if you want it, come and get it. But you have to move. You have to take that first decisive step onto the path. You have to make a decision. Now, this should be easy, right? We read about all the benefits and all the protection and all the good things that come. This should be an easy decision. Here's the path of wisdom. Leads to great things. So why do we hesitate? Look at what verse 7 says. It says, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have. Choosing wisdom will cost us something. Choosing wisdom will cost us everything else that has been the object of the good life we're seeking. It is mutually exclusive. And this is hard. There are so, so many things that we have placed at the center of our pursuit of the good life. What we think is the good life. And there are so, so many voices telling us what those things should be. So when we are asked to make a decision to get wisdom at the cost of all these things, we feel the weight of that decision. And it's a heavy weight. What is that weight? That weight is measuring the cost of what we're giving up. Here, here's a good example. I never felt the weight of marriage more than on two days. The first was the day I asked Noel to be my wife. All the day leading up to that evening, I wrestled with this decision. And it was a heavy weight. Now, Noel is the single, besides Jesus, the single best thing that's ever happened in my life. And there's been more good and, and freedom and love and care and forgiveness than I've ever experienced in, in a human person. More of that in Noel. And, and yet, as I was making this decision, I was weighing the cost. This would be giving up freedoms. This would be giving up my single life 
making any decision I feel like uh, making on any given day on my own. And that's a heavy weight. And it should be a heavy weight. And I felt it. And I wrestled with it. And I went forward with it. It was the best thing I ever did. The second time I felt the weight of marriage was not long after that on my wedding day. I had more doubt and fear uh, and I was wrestling on that day than any other day before it because I was standing on the precipice of that decision and I knew there was no going back. That wasn't an option. And has the weight, has the hesitation we feel when God says, I invite you onto this path of wisdom. Come with me, but leave all that other stuff that you're pursuing, leave it as you make that step. And we hesitate and we wrestle with it. And that's okay. I'm here to tell you that's okay. Wrestle. Invite God into that wrestling. I felt that weight when I stood at the altar. But man, I'll tell you what. I will try not to cry. When Noelle came out and she walked down that aisle, there was more joy and more freedom and more hope for everything in front of us on the life of this road had in front of us that far eclipsed the weight of that singleness. That now I hold those two things next to each other. Oh my gosh. That was nothing. It doesn't even, I don't feel any weight at all. But there are many things tugging at us that cause us to hesitate and think. We feel the weight of giving all of that up, all that could be, all that we thought would get us into a, that good life. We feel the weight of that. And trusting in that other path. The path of wisdom is the one uh, that we were actually intended for all along. That's a hard place to come to. But listen, C.S. Lewis says it way better than I can. So I'm just going to read what he says. This is in his book, The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis says, I'm progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition." Absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow. Or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today. A holiday or a new book. When suddenly I'm stabbed, a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease. Or a headline in the newspaper that threatens us all with destruction. Sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I feel... Overwhelmed. And all my little happiness, it looks like broken toys. Then slowly, reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. I remind myself that all these toys were never intended to possess my heart. That my true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps, by God's grace, I succeed and for a day or two become a creature consciously dependent on God 
and drawing its strength from the right sources. What is Lewis saying? We all have things that we have built up to sustain us, to satisfy us. But in the right light, through the correct lens of difficulties oftentimes, these things are revealed for nothing more than toys, games, a house of cards that is easily crushed. You've probably experienced this on some level. When we experience things like the loss of a family member or receiving that diagnosis that we feared the most, perhaps your business partner betrays you, any number of things can bring us back to a stark reality that the path we have been on is not secure, is not satisfying. Not nearly as much as we thought. And this is where Proverbs reminds us there is another way. There is another path. And it implores us to make the decision to move into the path of wisdom. Wisdom leads to a path. Life in this Proverbs is pictured as walking down a path, a journey. Life is a highway. I want to ride. You were doing it anyway in your head. The decision is which road to take. But make no mistake, listen to me, make no mistake, you are walking on a path to somewhere today. You are walking on a path to somewhere. Proverbs tells us there are two paths. One that leads to light. One that leads to deep darkness. But isn't that too simple? Only two paths? Everywhere we look, we're told that there are many paths. And, and even that perhaps all paths will lead us eventually to the same place, right? We like ambiguity. Not being pigeonholed. No one to push us to the extreme. We want to be free. But notice that uh, Scripture only gives two options. You can choose the path of light to life or path of darkness to death. But notice there is no mediocre middle ground. There's no mediocre middle ground. Compromise, half-hearted pursuit, double-mindedness, these are not options. But this is so often the way we want to live our life. One foot in, the other just outside of the door, ready to bail as soon as it doesn't look safe. Or, or it doesn't look exactly like we thought it should. Or we, there's a louder voice calling us in the hallway. That's why we have things like contracts. We don't trust each other to keep our promises. Contracts for cars, contracts for phones, contracts for jobs, contracts for marriages. What's wrong with us? This is not the way of wisdom. Make a decision. There are only two choices. Choose the right path. Proverbs desperately wants us to keep off the path of darkness. It describes for us what the path of, of wickedness leads to. Uh, it describes to us that the path of wickedness leads to deep darkness. Now, so listen to this language. 
Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid. Do not travel on it. Avoid it. Turn from it and go your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. I want you to notice something. That early on in the journey, you can make choices. You can avoid pitfalls. It says, adjust your course. Avoid it. Turn from it. You're on the wrong course. Shift. But what happens the longer you stay on the wrong path? It gets darker and darker and more violent and more aggressive and more arrogant. You're Walter White. Just look at the language describing what is happening inside of those on the wicked path. For they cannot rest. They cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. This is language of obsession, language of addiction. They are out to destroy others. Revenge and vengeance are stirring, festering in their heart and mind. They desire the destruction and failure of others. But what are they addicted to? What are they obsessed about? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it power? No. That's just what we see. That's just what surfaces. The real addiction is to the self. Listen. You can say that your pursuit of the good life that you're looking for is tied to what you own. You can say it's about what position or title you hold, where you live, the amount of money in your bank account, the spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend that you think you deserve. But what is the reoccurring theme in all of these? You. You. You are addicted to you. You are obsessed with you. You go, tonight th- go to sleep at night thinking about you. You walk into each room thinking about how others think about you. We are obsessed with ourselves. And when you are obsessed with you, then not only will you be unsatisfied when you don't have what you think you want or need, but you will hate anyone else who does have it. When you obsess about you, then not only will you be unsatisfied with what you don't have, what you think you deserve, but you will hate everyone else and everything else that does have it. You will wish for the demise of those who have the good life you think you deserve. Revenge and vengeance will stir in your heart. You'll desire for the destruction and the failure of those who have the thing that you think you deserve. You will lose sleep at night as you think of the trouble you hope for those that hold the thing that you long for. We are tempted to fixate on ourselves all the time. 
And each time we do, we are taking a step into deeper darkness. Listen, every time a good thing happens to you and you choose to be ungrateful, you take a step into darkness. Every time you choose to live a life philosophy that says, it's your life for my interests rather than my life for your interests, you step into darkness. Every time you get into a conflict, and instead of admitting that you're wrong, you defend yourself, and you rationalize, and you blame shift, you step deeper into darkness. We need to remember that behind every temptation to do these things is an overwhelming power of darkness and despair. Every time we are tempted to stray from the path of wisdom, we are being drawn by a power of deep darkness and despair. And where does this lead? Where will it take us? The wise father tells his son this path of wickedness leads to deep Deep darkness. Deep, deep darkness. The way of the wicked is like deep, deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. Have you ever been in a really, really dark place? Have you ever been, um, maybe when, when the power goes out in the middle of the night and, and you get up to try to find your way to get a candle or a flashlight or something and, and, and you're moving really slow and you got your hands out in front of you and what inevitably happens every single time? You stub your toe, yes. You stub your toe on something super sharp or super hard. And if you're like me, something really nasty comes out of your mouth and your kids laugh. <laughs> What's the problem in this metaphor? What is the problem? You are in such, so much darkness, you are completely unaware of the pitfalls around you. It is so dark, you cannot see, as hard as you try, you cannot see the pitfalls around you. You don't even know where to look anymore. You have no sense of what is coming or how to handle it. In short, deep darkness is characterized by complete absence of wisdom. Deep darkness, those dark, dark places are characterized by a complete absence of wisdom. But there's another way. The path of wisdom, the path of righteousness, which is described so much differently. The path of wisdom is described as a light that is dawning on the horizon. Do you see that? The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining bright till the full light of day. Noel and I took a trip uh, once to Maui, a long time ago. And uh, in Maui there is a mountain, I think it's called Haleakala, but I could totally have just made that up. And if you go up, they say you will see the best sunrise ever. And so we, this is vacation, the kids are at home with uh, our parents, and uh, we choose to get up at like 4.30 in the morning on vacation and drive up to the top of Mount Haleakala where it's freezing cold and it's pitch black. People are literally using flashlights to go stand on the edge of this mountain and watch the sunrise. And so we sit 
and we wait, and we wait. We're waiting, and we're freezing, and I'm like, back to the car. It can't be that good. How good can the sunrise be? And then you start to see just first like a gray. The, the, the black is turning to gray, and it's getting lighter, and it's getting lighter. And then you see this tiny little fireball that's coming out. You look down, you can see the sea down below you. And it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. It's getting warm now. And, and, and we realize, when we look down, oh, that's not the sea. That's, we're above the clouds. It's beautiful. And I want to tell you that you, you may take that decision to get onto the path of wisdom. And it may not seem a whole lot brighter at first. But the promise of Proverbs is that it's like the morning sun that shines brighter and brighter and brighter until the full light of day. If the path of wickedness leads to deep, deep darkness until you stumble and you have no idea why, the path of wisdom is the opposite. Stay on it and it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. And the best of all, you are not alone on this path. So many religions tell us, follow me or follow this and I will lead you to happiness or I will lead you to peace or I will lead you to understanding. Here's what's different about Christianity. It doesn't say I'll show you the way. Instead, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way and the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't say, I'll point you in that direction, good luck. He says, come to me, and I will walk with you. He is on this journey with you. So there's good news. If you are tired, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you lost? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Are you thirsty from your travels? Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within. You don't need Mr. Miyagi. You need Jesus. He's way better. The final thing that is said in chapter 4 is that wisdom flows from the heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What is in your heart matters. What your heart is tied to matters. It is the wellspring. What that means is that if anything but God is the focus of your heart, that thing will crumble under the weight of your expectations. If your children are the focus of your heart, they will crumble under the weight of your expectation. If your work is the focus of your heart, your career will crumble under the weight of unmet expectations. If your spouse or your lover is the focus of your heart, your relationship will inevitably crumble. They were not made to carry the weight of your heart. 
These things, all of them, and so many more that we tie our heart to, they were not made to hold your heart. We can love these things, and these can be good things, but we can't make good things ultimate things. Worldly wisdom says, gain all you, have, you can to have the good life. Attain that lover, attain that job, reach this amount in your bank account, and then you will find contentment. The key message here is that life flows from the outside in. Attain more, it will bring joy, happiness from the outside in. But godly wisdom says something different. It says that all of the things you add, all of the additions to the outside cannot and will not Transform the brokenness inside. Your heart can only be held by God. He made it. Life doesn't flow from the outside in. It flows from the inside out. The idea of living on a path is that we take a thousand little steps every day. Life is this series of little steps, moment by moment, recommitments to your path. So our character, the development of wisdom, is made and formed by each little step, not major shifts. Each little step. C.S. Lewis describes it this way, that as you are walking down the path of life, the path that God intended for you, we can often stray off into other places, onto that path of wickedness, and we can go as far as we want. But when we come to a place where we realize we are really far off, we cry out to the Lord. He does not pick you up off that trail that you got lost on, And put you back on the path he intended. Instead, he forages away, step by step, back to the direction of the path of wisdom. He doesn't supplant you. He takes you by the hand and he walks you, one step at a time, onto the path he made for you. We want major shifts to come quickly in our life. To get us out of the mess we've made and on the steady ground, but that's not how wisdom is learned. Life is about putting one foot in front of the other every single day, about a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson describes it. And God meets us each morning to begin that journey together. I wanna have the worship band come out and um, as we close, I wanna remind you of a story that Jesus told in uh, Luke chapter 15. It was about a dad who had a son. And the son decided to go on his own path and leave dad behind. And he left and he went. He spent everything that he had trying to get something to hold his heart. He slept with as many women as he could to try to fulfill the empty place in his heart. Did everything he could think of. He got to a place where he had nothing left. 
So I remember my father's house. At least there, I can get some food in my stomach. Even if I'm a servant, I could get some food in my stomach and have a safe place to sleep at night. And so what did the son do? He got up out of a pigsty, literally, and began to walk one step at a time toward his father's house. And the whole time he was thinking to himself, I'll, uh, I'll just tell my dad I, I can't be a son anymore. I don't deserve his love. Uh, he, he planned this whole speech to give his father. And he began one step at a time on the road back home. And do you know what it said? The best part of the story? <laughs> it says that the father was sitting on his porch watching the road. Waiting for any sign that his son might be, have turned back. He's watching Day and night, he's watching. And when he sees the first glimpse that his son has turned back and was walking home, it says the father got off of his seat and ran to his son. And he picked him up and he embraced him. And he kissed him on the face. And he put a robe on his shoulders and a ring on his finger. And he reestablished everything that his son was. What does that mean for us? It means that I don't know where your path has taken you. I don't know how far off the path of wisdom you have lived. The great part of that is it doesn't matter. There is a father watching today, watching. Will you even turn, just turn to head home? He will run to meet you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that that image, Lord, is not one that we had to make up, God, and hope that you were. It was something you told us about yourself. And so it's trustworthy. God, our hearts take us all over the place, Lord, and, and we drag it through the dirt and we drag it through the mud and much worse in search of something that will hold it. Thank you for your promise. God, that no matter where we are, you will run and meet us, Lord. And you will dust us off. And you'll take our hand and you will walk that long path to everything you had planned for us in the beginning. It's not too late. God, I pray the reality of that would resonate in our spirit, in our heart today. So we take time to respond to you. Jesus, meet us here. Put your arms around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.